Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. God be with you and bless you. Lord, uh, we ask you to give wisdom today and discernment. We all want to grow up in you and be ready for our Lord to manifest himself in these days. Amen. All right, we're going to call this uh, Things That Hinder the Bride's Maturity. Amen. I want to share with you something that's been a question to me over the years concerning Satan Satan reading minds and uh, inserting his thoughts. I was asked that question. Um... Can you substantiate in Scripture where it is written that Satan can put thoughts into our minds? And um, I say this. In order for Satan to put thoughts into our mind, he would also have to be able to read our minds. I'll try to explain this in a moment, but first uh, you might want to entertain another question. Can anyone substantiate with Scripture that Satan cannot put thoughts into our mind or read our mind. Since we uh, can't do this, then we shouldn't believe it because it's not scriptural. First Chronicles 28 and 9 says, The Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. In the spirit realm... Thoughts are audible to the mind of God and demons. God and demons can in turn impart the gift to read minds. I've read the thoughts of men by the Holy Spirit. A man once asked me if I knew what he was thinking. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit gave it to me. And for several minutes, the man was awed that God knew exactly who he was, where he was, and what was going on in his head. And so so God can do this, and I want to tell you, Satan can do it too. Uh, When I first went to a full gospel church over 50 years ago, I witnessed Christians exercising a demon-possessed man who thought that he was a woman. He also demonstrated the ability to read minds when the unbelieving Christians asked for a demonstration. <laughs> he, uh, he did say that it was easier to read the mind of one person there, and he pointed to that one person, and that was a person, by the way, that was not filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, even though he didn't know anyone there, this man was 
the first time he'd ever been there. He'd never known anybody there. He pointed to the one man. This was a church where everybody got filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, this, this guy here had been seeking to be filled for years and wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. So, familiar spirits or spirits of divination in magicians and wizards and mediums and those that practice witchcraft have demonstrated the power to read minds in front of audiences of people. So, you know demons can read minds because they give that gift. We wrestle with the principalities and powers in the mind. Ephesians 6 and 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against the powers and against the world rulers of this darkness and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And verse 17, And Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We see here that with the renewed mind of the Word, our thoughts are guarded as with the helmet, because we won't accept foreign thoughts. How do those foreign thoughts get in there? Okay, well, uh so we are then able to take back our thoughts and cast the enemy's thoughts down, according to 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, 5. Let's see. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war uh, according to the flesh. For our, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds. Where could these strongholds be? I would say in the mind. The principalities and powers hold the strongholds in the thoughts of the mind. Casting down imaginations or thoughts uh, and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Uh, we win the battle by rejecting the enemy's thoughts and replacing them with God's thoughts. That's how we win the battle. And we're at peace with God when we're full of his thoughts and our minds are guarded from the demonic attacks that cause outward actions of sin. And Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, In nothing be anxious. Only God can say that because he's in absolute control of things, you know. In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your heart and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. So Satan is able to insert thoughts within our thoughts. Acts 5 and 3 says, But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? And in First Chronicles 21 and 1, And Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now here we can uh, use a little bit of Holy Spirit reasoning or just common sense. Uh, how could Satan insert thoughts unless he knows the context of your thought? If you went into your computer to edit a program, 
How could you insert the right codes unless you could read the context of the computer's program? If you just inserted a code anywhere without knowing the program, you would make a nonsensical statement and anyone would know that someone inserted something that was out of place. And so it is with us. If Satan or demons insert something nonsensical into our thoughts, or non-contextual, you know, then everyone would know that they are at work. They would say, aha, demons. <laughs> so uh, they do their best, uh, their best work undercover. And they know, it, and they, they try to do that. So how would Satan be able to tempt us if he was so dysfunctional? We would know it was a, him immediately. And how would it be a temptation? You'd know immediately, oh, wait a minute, that thought didn't come from me. It wasn't even in context. Uh-huh, no. He is evidently able to insert his thoughts in context in our mind. Okay, so how can he do that unless he can hear what your mind is thinking? Now, here is the, the really important thing. Our battle does not depend on whether the enemy can read our minds or not. This is a mistake people make. It depends on what he can do about what we know. And when we read Job, we clearly see that God has put restrictions on Satan's ambitions for Job. Satan has to obey God's rules of engagement even when he knows what we think. Satan admits he did not have the power to get at Job because of God's hedge. And the same is true of us. Job 1 and 9 says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. So it's not important for our thoughts to be hidden from the enemy when he can do nothing about it. And he can do nothing about our thoughts unless by them we give him permission because we have authority over him. Luke 10 and 19. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Nevertheless, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Besides that, um, Satan and his demons aren't blind, and everybody does a lot of writing and emailing and telling their problems and so on and so forth to other people and so on and so forth. It, it, he doesn't even have to read your mind. He can read what you write, what you do. He can read your fear. He knows he knows all these things. He's not an ignorant being. He's just an evil being, right? So it doesn't matter what the demons know that we know. Because as sons of God, we are their lords, just as it was with Jesus. John 20 and 21, Jesus therefore said unto them again, Peace be unto you, 
As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And Matthew 18 and 18, Verily I say unto you, What things soever you shall bind or forbid on earth shall be bound or forbidden in heaven. And what things soever you shall loose, which is permit, or on earth shall be loosed or permitted in heaven. So we have authority to bind and loose. Faith permits the sovereignty of God to be manifested through the body of Christ and forbids Satan uh, no matter what he knows of our thoughts. Jesus' condition for receiving his benefits are plain. As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And according to your faith, be it done unto you. And thy faith hath made thee whole. What can the devil do about it? Nothing. We have authority over him. And as we believe, God's benefits will be given. Unbelieving thoughts and actions forbid God's benefits. Because he has made a condition, and he cannot lie. Okay? Unbelief permits Satan to continue administering the curse. Mark 6 and 5. And he could not do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So because of their unbelief, he could not do any mighty work there. Right? Because God has laid down the condition. The condition is to believe in your mind. What can the devil do about it when he sees you believing in your mind? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Even Jesus was forbidden to do mighty works for those who would not believe. Now, whether we know it or not, we are constantly forbidding or permitting Satan, demons, and God's angels by our thoughts, words, and actions. Since all authority in heaven and on earth was given unto us, right, <laughs> was given unto Jesus, who then turned and delegated it to us, uh, where does Satan get his authority? He gets it from our unbelief and words of disobedience. So uh, if we, that's why we need to repent and believe. It means change your mind and believe, you see. Um, adding to or taking from God's words in thought and deed permits the curse by Satan and forbids God's blessings for us or through us. And this is by God's design. It's to motivate us to come into agreement with him. Revelation twenty-two eighteen. I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto them, God shall add unto him the plagues which are written in this book. And verse 19, And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and out of the holy city which are written in this book. Oh, you don't believe that? Some don't. There's a lot of people that don't believe that, but it won't make any difference. So... In coming into agreement with God, we forbid Satan to administer the curse to us. That's his job, you know. So, to win this battle, we have to cast down the thoughts of Satan that are sent to get us to give him permission 
to destroy us. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God, to casting down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every thought, every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So that's how we win this battle. It has nothing to do with what the devil knows or don't know. Okay? Many uh, think that the reason God gives the gift of tongues is so that Satan cannot understand what we say to God and his purposes will be thwarted. Well, this is false and it's foolish. Uh, Satan and his fallen angels are much smarter than Christians give them credit. They certainly know the tongues of men and of angels. Or they couldn't communicate with one another and put thoughts in our heads either if, he didn't, if they didn't know our language, for goodness sake, you know. And uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So we do. We speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Do, does he understand this? Of course. <laughs> but but have not love I am become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal so when prophecy is uttered in one's own language the mind doctrine and desires are permitted to be involved in what is said and the word is polluted because of our thoughts our doctrines whatever you know but when a person speaks in tongues that is not permitted 1 Corinthians 13 says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. In other words, the prophecy can be part God and part man. Okay, but tongues is different. And the reason is, you don't know what you're saying. You've got no reason to change it. Uh, the reason we speak in tongues is so that we will not know what we are saying and will have no carnal reason to change it. In this way, it can be pure word of the Spirit to God. Romans 8 and 26. And in like manner, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmity, for we know not how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us in, with groanings which, that cannot be uttered, that is, by man. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So when you pray in tongues, you're praying according to the will of God. It's not polluted because your, your knowledge, your doctrine, your foolishness does not get involved because you don't know what you're saying. And that's important. And some people say it's the least gift. That's crazy. It's the most important gift because it's the one God gives the most and the quickest. Let's just have a little bit of common sense here. You know, uh, Satan finds it easier to conquer us when we are distracted by vain things, uh, false doctrines, false preachers, so on and so forth. Uh, and this, this has no eternal value. Now, to point that out, I'm going to share this with you. 
We call this the immature and distracted will miss the bride. This was given to Joe Britz, 6-26-22. Just after the meeting this morning, Father gave me this dream. While I believe Joe is being represented as the man-child in this dream because of his name, Joseph, which means the Lord has added or Jehovah has added, Joseph was a very clear type of Jesus, one of the clearest in the Old Testament. And uh, the man-child, um, he's clearly a type of the man-child in the Old Testament. So he said, I was sitting in a bus with a bunch of people who were with me. Well, I believe that this bus represents the larger UBM bus that we have seen in many dreams because that's, that's the bus that uh, Joe is in. He said, a very pretty lady who, whose name means wished for child in her early 20s was sitting to my left. <laughs> well, I believe she represents the uh, bride body who wishes and longs for the fruit of Jesus to be born in her. Amen. Uh, the wished-for child, the promised child, right? I knew a brother whose name means noble was there too, but I could not see him. Um, and he, he said, I believe this represents the spirit of Jesus in the man-child reformers. Jesus said to his disciples, you are my brethren. And he called them children too, okay? So the bus pulled away, and the very pretty lady said to me, Our sister is still outside. I looked, and I saw that the sister, whose name means youthful, was busy on her cell phone. Well, this youthful sister probably represents the little sister um, of the bride, spoken of in Psalm uh, 8, 8 through 9. Like in Esther, the immature are not ready to be with the bride or in the bride body and will miss the corporate bus because of distractions. You know, we can grow very fast without the distractions and with faith and repentance. Amen. I could not see her face because she was looking in another direction. In other words, her direction was not in the direction of where the bus was going. <laughs> we have to be paying attention to that. Um, they're not focused on sanctification and the more important things of the kingdom. Hence, they are looking in another direction uh, and distracted, right? I said to the very pretty lady, we will see her again. And I put my left arm around her to reassure her. And she put both of her arms around me while we drove away. I believe this represents the agape love of the bride and the man-child. Amen. The bride will cling to the man-child as they enter the wilderness tribulation together. Amen. This is going to be our guide. Expect a lot of confusion in the church in the next little while, you know, because people have to lose uh, their old leadership in order to gain their new leadership. 
So Joe said, I asked the Lord for a verse by faith at random for the very pretty lady. And I got Mark 9 and 13. But I say unto you that Elijah is come, and they have also done unto him whatsoever they would, even as it is written of him. Hmm. Well, this verse is speaking of John the Baptist, who preceded and prepared the way for the man-child, who is Jesus. And he did that through preaching repentance, right? And this was, according to Jesus, in the spirit of Elijah. And since the man-child is born out of the bride, then in a type, the first fruits Elijah's of the bride body will make way for the coming of Jesus in the man-child reformers in our day. What, what is going to cause you to be able to hear these reformers? If you're not repented, you won't hear them. So that's, that lays the foundation for the coming of the Lord in your mind, your will, your emotions, etc. He said, I asked the Lord for a verse by faith at random for the youthful cell phone lady, and I got Zechariah 1 and 6. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? And they turned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. So the more we pay attention to God and his word, the sooner we will mature and come out of trouble and be ready for the coming of the Lord. I mean, I'm talking about in the man-child ministry. He's going to walk again on this earth. And uh, do you not know that Jesus lives in you unless you indeed be reprobate? So don't say that this can't happen because it happens all the time. Psalm 81, 13 and 14 says, Oh, that my people would hearken unto me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Amen. So, uh, another one, we call this bondages make victims. And uh, this person is anonymous, 62722. The dream started with me walking past a birdcage that looked like the one I have in real life. The cage represents bondage that would keep us from escaping. Right? And in the birdcage, I saw a large black snake about two inches thick with something in its mouth. Well, of course, we consider it probably was the bird, since the bird isn't mentioned there. The snake in the birdcage with the bird in its mouth is a, a warning of the enemy trying to swallow us up uh, in their witchcraft prayers against us. And we must pray and intercede against their schemes and attacks. By the way, we're not under the curse. We need to know that. If you don't know that, you'll go through a lot of misery and spend a lot of money for nothing. Okay. Psalm 56, 1 through 6. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. 
All the day long he fighteth, oppresseth me. Mine enemies would swallow me up all the day long, for they are many that fight proudly against me. Well, it's going to be that way with every righteous person. So, what time I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee. In God, I will praise his word. In God, have I put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can flesh do unto me? All the day long, they rest my words. Yes. And all their thoughts are against me for evil. Yes. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps, even as they have waited for my soul. Yes, we have these evil, wicked, affectious people against us today, just as all throughout scriptures the righteous did have. Okay. There are crucifiers. Then uh, next to the birdcage, out of the bushes, came a second yellow snake with a few thin gray stripes about the same size as the black snake. Well, I think the color yellow represents fear and cowardice, and the gray stripes represent death. The, the faction are cowards who backbite and attack behind our backs in darkness. Psalm uh, 11, 2 says, For lo, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. And Psalm 23 and 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So uh, we will fear no evil, right? Don't make room for the devil. Through Satan's accusers comes much distraction and temptation such as Jesus, Joseph, and David had to endure, right? And many more. The snake came uh, moving towards me. Uh, the next moment it turned around and then turned back in my direction and struck at me. Well, these deceivers feign and manipulate, but they can't be trusted, even when they're talking kind and considerate and uh, putting on a, a, an act. Don't believe them. That's what the Bible says. I tried to defend the strike with my hands, and then I woke up. I started praying in tongues. And I got peace after a while. So the second snake uh, part of the dream is explaining the first part, I believe. We, we are uh, the bird. But we are delivered out of the power of darkness. So we should bind the, these demons and uh, pray them down. Amen. We have authority. Or you can just put up with it. But it will cost you. Uh, I received a, a word by faith at random, he said, uh, for this dream, Jeremiah 30 and 20. Their children also shall be as aforetime, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. So God is going to punish these snakes who are continually persecuting and oppressing the righteous. Okay, the spirit of legalism 
trying to kill the body. This is what we give name to this Winnie's revelation here, Winnie Asagata, uh, 6.30.22. She said, I dreamt that I was at my mother's apartment on the second floor of the apartment building. Well, the mother church that we are born out of is, I believe, signified here. And while I was there, I had a vision of a man in a black hoodie with a knife attempting to enter and come after me to kill me. And as, well, in the spirit realm, folks, this happens a lot. Okay, I just have to tell you. There are people who want to take you out, spiritually speaking. And as we will see, this man in black represents a spirit of legalism, which is often in the apostate mother church. That's where she was, right? And tries to steal our liberty in Christ in order to kill us spiritually. Galatians 5 and 4. You are severed from Christ, ye who would be justified by the law. You are fallen away from grace. Okay. Very clear. Need to if you're having a problem with the law, you know, read Galatians, read Romans, find out what it represents. It's the rules over and above the grace, right? Do this and don't do that, and you'll overcome because you keep the rules. No, we have grace from God, and we believe in it. By grace have you been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man shall boast, right? And law is works. See, she said, because I had this vision, I was aware he was coming. And I opened the door and could see down the steps that the man was coming into the entrance of the apartment building on the first floor. Well, the first floor represents our flesh nature, which is closest to the earth. It's, it's, it's not a mature place. But then in mom's house, the old house that most of you came out of, there, there's not a, a mature place there. <laughs> so this is where the spirit of legalism gains entrance. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 46 through 49 says, How be it, that is not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is of the heaven. Uh, as is the earthly, such are they also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Let me say that many people go through a phase of legalism until they realize they keep reading <laughs> and discover grace, right? So some people go back to legalism because they want to justify themselves in their sin because that's what legalism is. So she said, I quickly ran out and left my phone behind. Well, fear and legalism will sever our communications with the Holy Spirit represented by the cell phone. I ran up the stairs to the neighbor Wanda's house on the top third floor of the building. Wanda means 
shepherdess, wanderer. Judges 1, 10 through 13 says this, But these rail at things whatsoever they know not, and what they understand naturally, like creatures without reason. In these things are they destroyed. The, the Pharisees couldn't understand Jesus, and it was because of the letter. The letter. They read everything as a letter. They didn't see in the Spirit at all. God hid his word from the wise and prudent and revealed it unto babes. Continuing verse 11, Woe unto them, for they went in the way of Cain. They ran riotously in the error of Balaam for hire. In other words, they were bribed to do wrong. And perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are they who are hidden rocks in your love feasts when they feast with you. Shepherds that without fear feed themselves. Clouds without water carried along by winds. Autumn leaves without fruit. Twice dead plucked up by the roots. Don't tell me you can't be twice dead and plucked up by the roots. If you're twice born, you can be twice dead, right? And here it is. Wild ways of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness hath been reserved forever. Yes, and that's where they will be. So I began to knock on Wanda's door to let me in, telling her that there was a man in the building with a knife coming after me. The knife the man had was straight but curved downward at the tip with uh, two very sharp points shaped like uh, an, ins an upside down letter U. It looked like almost like a gutting knife. Wanda finally opened the door and we closed the door and I told her about the man with the black hoodie in the building. I told her to keep it down because... She was making a lot of noise, kind of stomping and jumping a little bit and freaking out. <laughs> and I didn't want the man to hear us. And all of a sudden, I realized that on the left side of Wanda's apartment, where the kitchen is supposed to be, was a large glass wall and sliding door. The man was right outside the sliding doors entering into the apartment. Entering in through what? Uh, well, uh, the place where food is made, right? The kitchen. And that's the way they do. I mean, th they prepare food, but they're preparing to put you in bondage to legalism, you see. And in the apostate churches where they're not filled with the Spirit of God, this is common. It's common. And so Job 3 and 25 says, For the thing which I fear cometh upon me, and that which I am afraid cometh unto me. Because fear is faith. It's faith in the curse, faith in the devil, faith in whatever bad is coming down the road. You see people that have these negative attitudes all the time, right? Well, they're going to get it that way. and We are supposed to be believing the promises of God. Even though I had left my phone in my mom's apartment on the second floor, I somehow had a phone in my hand, and I attempted to dial 911. <laughs> Psalm 118, 5 and 6 says, Out of my distress I called upon the Lord. 
The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? So Wanda told me that she didn't think it was a good idea for me to call the police because her friend, Don, did not agree with calling the police. But I called anyway. Well, Donald means world ruler. Uh, Satan is the god of this world and doesn't want us calling on Jesus to save us out of our situations. He wants to trick us into relying on legalism uh, manipulation, uh, self-justification, and, uh, and so on. But we, our salvation has already been given to us. We've been redeemed from the hand of our enemies, Luke chapter 1, right? I saw the man bring up the knife towards Wanda, and he forced her to get into his car. Well, of course, that's because she had fear. Fear uh, just welcomes anything the devil wants to do to you. If we don't fight the spirit of legalism, we will destroy, he will destroy us and take us away from our Savior, right? I now looked over to the right of the apartment building and the wall was gone and there was now a large opening. So I left the apartment as I was dialing 911. So we must leave the unsanctified apartment by staying in touch with the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us, right? I told the police the street that I was on so that they would find me. And in the meantime, I decided to hide inside a restaurant that was kind of like a diner, which was on the other side of the street. Well, now it's on. It's a restaurant, a place to feed food, but it's uh, on the other side of the street from this apostate place, right? So this restaurant represents the safety we have when we abide in Christ, who is the bread of life, right? I went inside the restaurant and entered the women's restroom. The restroom represents the process of sanctification where we get rid of uh, waste, right? Spiritual waste, uh, which represents the flesh nature, believe it or not. Paul called all that religious hogwash he had been raised up in dung. That's what he called it. There were a lot of uh, different women in there, and I told them about this man in the black hoodie. All of a sudden, the women pulled out their own knives. <laughs> similar to the knives that the man with the hoodie had, except the handle was white. And they stepped outside to confront this man and to fight him. Well, the women here represent, I believe, those people who have advanced in their knowledge and wisdom. Uh, women represent uh, groups of God's people or, or so on. There are full gospel churches that know how to deal with um, this spirit right so a multi-gifted church body um, is a great help to defend us from our enemies we must fight off legalism with the sword of the word so that we will not separate us so that they will not separate us from christ or one another 
There are people who want to bring division in the church so that they can make disciples, right? It's called heresy, right? Psalm 118, 7 and 8. The Lord is on my side among them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Ooh, learn that lesson. A lot of people are learning it now. As they marched out of the diner, they marched towards the right. There you go. And they began to sing very loudly, <laughs> like the praisers in Jehoshaphat's army that defeated Israel's enemies, right? And then I woke up very suddenly, and I don't remember what the women were singing, but when I woke up, the song that was playing loudly in my spirit was a song that we sing sometimes at our meetings. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens, the earth, by thy great power. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee, great and mighty God, great in counsel and mighty indeed. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing is too difficult for thee. And I asked the Lord for a few verses by faith at random and received Psalm 118, uh, 14, and uh, for context, uh, 14 through 19. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. In other words, they were on the right, right? And the right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die, but live, and declare the works of the Lord. But the Lord hath chastened me sore, but he will, hath not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter into them. I will give thanks unto the Lord. Amen. Isaiah 26, 4, 2 through 7 in context. Open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth faith may enter in. Well, of course, this is the gates of Zion, the place with the broad walls protecting you from the enemy, right? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord, even the Lord, is an everlasting rock. For he hath brought down them that dwell on high, the lofty city, that's the enemy. He layeth it low, he layeth it low even unto the ground, he bringeth it even unto the dust. The foot that treadeth it down, even the feet of the poor, and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness, thou art uh, upright, Dost distract, direct the path of the just, right? Though thou that art upright, dost direct the path of the just. Amen. Uh, also, Romans 4 and 21. We'll do 19 through 25 for context. And without being weakened in faith, he considered his own body now as good as dead, he being about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, Yet looking unto the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, 
but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured that what he had promised he was able to perform, wherefore also it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. Do you reckon he can perform his promises to you, whether it be in dream or in vision or in word or whatever? Now it was not written for his sake alone, but that it was reckoned unto him, but for our sake also, unto whom it was, it shall be reckoned, who believe on him that raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, and who was delivered up for our trespasses, and was raised for our justification. Okay, so I'm going to continue with, uh, we called it Strive to be Free. Uh, Debbie Finsky got this word on 627.22. Just before the evening meeting, I felt I just just needed to lay down and shut my eyes for a while. I did, and I began praying uh, for our meeting. And as I paused, I heard the Lord speak the word, liberated. I prayed in the Spirit for only a couple of moments, and then I heard the Lord say, Strive to be liberated from all of this world's hold on you. I desire liberation for you. How I desire that all of my people uh, desire liberation from this world. But so many hearts are not set on me. They are bound to this world, kind of like in that cage, right? And everything that they allow it to offer them. This world, which is only a ball of matter that offers to my people nothing that matters, will soon be going down, and they will go down with it. It's hard to hear the Lord say that. I heard a cry in his heart for his people, who are so deceived and so captured by the strength of this world and all the false securities that it offers them. I felt a strong sob coming up from deep in my belly, and I had to sit up on the edge of the bed and let out those great sobs with tears. I told him that we so often read about his strong wrath But his mercy, peace, consolation, and joy should also be remembered. He also, he allowed me to feel just a tiny part of his grieving heart for his children because he knows that his grief will turn to strong wrath. He knows he will have to pour out uh, this on those who have desired their own way and bondage to this world rather than receiving his liberation from it. And again, this is like the the bird in the cage who was swallowed by the snake in the dream that we had. Okay, Marie Kelton received this uh, on 326.22. We must lay down our idols. Amen. I was asking the Lord one day to send me a husband, but only when I was ready for one. Today, while I was at work, I heard the Lord say, Why don't you lay it down? And then the Lord gave me an open vision of him sitting on a throne. He was wearing all white and was really huge. 
All I could see was his legs and his sandals. I saw myself place a little black idol that was like a small statue of a person at his feet. And I knew that the Lord was going to smash it. Then the vision ended. So obviously that, that was that person maybe that she was believing for a husband, right? But, you know, we can't put our desires ahead of the Lord. In fact, we have to lay them at his feet, right? The only way is uh, Matthew six thirty three: Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't forget this. This is the way. Okay. So, we got this from uh, Joe DeBrazzi, 6-27-22. And we called it, Idolatry and Distractions Keep the Church Immature. Mm-hmm. Joe said, I wanted to contact you because I saw this sign again in the parking lot at work today. Last year, about three times, I saw what looked like another planet or something that seemed to cover the moon to where there was just a sliver of the moon visible. Well, the moon or woman church, remember the woman's position uh, in Revelation 12 was standing on the moon, right? The woman church cannot reflect the light of the sun, S-O-N slash S-U-N, because the earth has come between them. In other words, the church is looking at the earth or the worldly instead of the sun. And, of course, if you don't do that, you don't get to see reflect his light, right? So this represents worldly idolatry or distractions keeping the church from maturing. And we have to behold the sun in order to reflect him and come into his image, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. We all with an unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into that same image from glory to glory as from the Lord the Spirit. Got to behold the Son, right? Uh, he said, I don't know if it's a vision or real, but every time I have seen this sign, the sun is getting ready to rise. And that is something that really stands out to me the whole time. Well, we haven't had this many eclipses, so this is a spiritual vision. We just uh, received a dream of the immature missing uh, the man-child bride bus because of distractions. And this is a good exhortation to run after Jesus because time is short to be in the chosen, be in the bride. So... Um, Another one, and this was given to Claire Pinar, 623-22. Uh, distractions cause the bride to miss the man-child. Hmm, we don't want to miss that. Some people did. When Jesus came, they missed it. They were distracted. And he gave parables about them being distracted instead of choosing the eternal things, right? I was in a state a steak grill house, and I was with a group of people. Well, 
this restaurant represents the fiery trials of the flesh, right? The group of people were celebrating me, but I don't know why. I was given the best seats, goodie bags, and so much food and praise. I could not understand it. Well, I believe these represent uh, worldly distractions and flatteries, which, as we will see, can cause the bride to miss her appointment with the man-child. Okay. Uh, all I wanted was Richard, my first love. Richard was my first boyfriend, and in this dream, he and Rion, my husband, were morphed into one character. Richard means a mighty ruler, and Rion means a little king. So I think these men represent a corporate body of Jesus or the man-child reformers. So... Well, this is what makes her the bride. She is always desiring to run after Jesus, not necessarily having arrived uh, in this case, but desiring to run after Jesus. Her first love, despite all the distractions of the world and the enemy. Yes, we may get distracted for just a little bit, but we need to get back up and seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, right? So I went looking for Richard, and I went to a shop where Rion and I once bought blue jeans, and I waited there for him. Well, the she has in parenthesis, the bride is only interested in running after Christ and walking in heavenly places represented by the blue jeans. I went to find a toilet in the dream. Rion said, the bride is the one constantly looking to cleanse herself of all defilement, to be perfect and blemishless for her husband Christ. I walked through a very high-tech call center to get to the bathroom. Well, the high-tech call center represents a constant communication with the Holy Spirit in order to receive the convictions we need in order to repent and grow, right? Rion said, yes, it is the high calling of God to be made separate, pure, and holy for Him. Amen. The toilet stalls were elevated about one story higher than the call center. Wow. The stalls were made from completely transparent glass, and the doors only covered my middle section. So this transparency of nakedness represents repentance and confession of sin. 1 John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, uh, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See the key, the key here, confessing your sins, to be cleansed from unrighteousness, okay? That's the waste in your life, right? And what disqualifies the wicked is that they cannot repent and confess sins in order to be righteous. Narcissists, people with rejection, faction spirits, put fear in people to confess and be delivered. And so these spirits are uh, hold them in bondage to this fear, and they will not confess sin. 
They feel like they will be rejected if they confess their sin. They're not transparent. Um, They put on a show. And even then, some do not hold fast to the gospel, believing that Jesus took away their sins and gave them his life. And so they do not mature because of double-mindedness. And I walked back to the restaurant, and when I realized Richard slash Rion wasn't coming, I was sad. I had missed his birthday, uh uh-oh, in the dream, and the date that I had missed was the 23rd of March. Oh, well, um, Song of Solomon 5, 4 through 6 says, My beloved put in his hand, his, put his hand by the hole of the door, and my heart was moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with liquid myrrh upon the handles of the bolt. And I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul had failed me, When he spake, and I sought him, but could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. Okay, missing the birthday. Let's think about that for a minute. It seems, she said, that the bride receives gifts on the man-child's birthday. Hmm, that's true. The birthing of the man-child ministry is when the Lord returns as a mighty one in the man-child by word and spirit to reward the bride. But there was a delay. Yeah, we, as we see in this text, there was a delay. I would say the bride was not quite ready, right? Isaiah 40 and 10 says, Behold, the Lord will come as a mighty one, and his arm will rule for him. Behold, His reward is with him. There it is. And his recompense before him. So if you're not ready for the reward, you're not ready for him, you see. And Isaiah 62, 11 says, Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the ends of the earth, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, that's the bride, according to what John was told in Revelation, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. So, um, she said, I've just recently been reading in Esther, um, and I saw that in Esther 8 and 9, by faith at random, the same day and month, in their calendar was used as the date I received in this dream of March the 23rd. But quite often dates are not dates of happenings, but uh, a symbol of something that will lead you in understanding that direction, right? So here it is, Esther 8, 7 through 11. Again, she received this by faith at random, and uh, it has the date in it. Then the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman. Uh, And that's going to happen in these days too, folks. He he was the leader of the beast, basically, that was warring 
or the faction that was warring against the people of God to destroy the people of God, and he was given into the hand of Esther. And him they hanged upon the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also to the Jews as it pleaseth you in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. Uh, for the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. Then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, Sivan, and on the three and twentieth day. There it is, uh, March 23rd. <laughs> if you want to take it as that, right? And it's interesting that she got this by faith and random, so we know the Lord can use dates in that way obviously. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews. Mordecai meaning little man. Uh, he was the man child of that day who raised up the bride to, uh, to be with the king. <laughs> and uh, verse 10. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by post on horseback wherein the king granted the Jews that were in every city to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy and to slay and to cause to perish all the power of the people and the province that would assault them, their little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. Okay. So, of course, this is not talking to us about taking up physical weapons, but spiritual weapons. Uh, and so on. So back to Claire's dream. I made a way to leave the busy restaurant that was in a shopping mall and got up onto the roof where a friend called Susan was with me. Well, the bride keeps looking for her beloved, right? She was so loving and kind and emotionally expressive and demonstrative which, uh, with which hugging and squeezing my arm in reassurance. Uh, and Rion said about this, that Susan means Lily. She represents the reassuring love of Christ the bride experiences when she leaves the world behind and strives for the heavenly. Yes, I agree. Song 2 and 2. As a lily among the thorns, so is my love among, among the daughters. Mm -hmm. On the roof I saw a helicopter that looked like an ambulance mixed with an ice cream truck. <laughs> Anything in dreams, folks. Okay. I, I, I was waiting to go with it when it lifted up. Okay, she was waiting to go and it lifted up. So what the bride needs now is lifting up and spiritual health, right, the ambulance, uh, so as not to miss our sweet appointment, ice cream, right? Uh, we have already received in dreams that the coming of the Lord in his man-child is awaiting the maturity of the bride. Has he passed by before? Well, just like we saw, he has. He has passed by before. The bride wasn't ready. Okay. The scene changed, and I walked through terraced paddocks where I saw many black little calves. 
I came back to my bedroom in the dream and spoke to Rion, who was on his knees praying at the foot of the bed when I arrived in our room. He said, it sounds like Psalm 91 protection. And he started quoting the psalm to me. And Rion said, uh, Malachi 4 and 2, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing. There's that arise, like the helicopter, with healing, you know, the ambulance, in its wings. And you shall go forth and gamble as the calves of the stall. Amen. So when the helicopter slash ambulance arises with the bride, she will have the Psalm 91 protection through the tribulation. Yes. Then I went back to the paddocks in the dream, and as I walked, I knew I was getting closer to Richard slash Rion and the blue jeans. <laughs> I asked the Lord what the restaurant part of the dream represents and received Second Chronicles 6 and 29 in context 29 through 31. What prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all thy people Israel who shall know every man his own plague and his own sorrow and shall spread forth his hands towards this house, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and render to every man according to all of his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For thou, even thou, only knowest the hearts of the children of men, that they may fear thee to walk in thy ways, so long as they live in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. So I asked the Lord about the terraced paddocks and received by faith at random the word Mount Gilead from Song 4 and 1. Behold, thou art fair, my love, Behold, thou art fair. Thine eyes are as doves behind thy veil. Where's that bride again? <laughs> thy hair is as a flock of goats that lieth along the side of Mount Gilead. Well, I don't think that would impress a lot of people, but it, spiritually speaking, is very awesome. Well, terracing on the side of a mountain where flocks graze makes it possible for them to rest and to feed right, and to grow crops, and to stop erosion, right, that's why they tear us. So, I asked for another verse at random about who Richard Rion represents, and I received song <laughs> four and four again, thy neck is like the tower of David, builded for an armory, whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all the shields of the mighty men. Okay, that's obviously they represent the man-child who will defend the bride and the body of Christ in the wilderness to come. Amen. I thought it was too close to the previous verse I received, so I asked for another verse by faith at random and received the word Gilead again. Huh. And this time from Jeremiah 50 and 19. And I will bring Israel again to his pasture, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan 
and his soul shall be satisfied upon the hills of Ephraim and in Gilead. There we go. Pretty good confirmations here. So, besides distractions, ego, in the form of competitiveness, holds the bride back from maturity. Um, competition divides the church. That's what we named this revelation given to Claire Pinar, 1217. Competition. God hates it. I dreamed I was in a really dark church in a very dark city late at night. That's pretty well dark, right? This represents the Babylonish apostate church system that is at the end of the Gentile church dispensation. The church had so many things wrong with it. It had a golden altar, representing idolatry, and separate places for new believers, old believers, women, children, men, and elders. You've been in churches like that, right? Well, this represents the denominalization and divisions and sects and heresies that the Bible warns about in Second Peter 2 and 1. But there arose false prophets also among the people, as among you also there shall be false teachers, who shall privily bring in destructive heresies. Heresies uh, are self-willed opinions that cause division. Uh, people use them to divide people unto themselves, you see. That's what the faction does because they have self-willed opinions that don't match the Scripture. So denying even the master that bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Mm -hmm. And it will happen. It was eerie due to the darkness that was coming in from the outside. Well, the apostate church has let the darkness of the world and its ways inside. Uh, all we have to do is hold fast to the scriptures and we will be sanctified, separated from the darkness, right? Rion said, before the coming of the man-child Jesus, the people of God were in darkness for hundreds of years. This is true. Some young people came in, and I thought they were going to add some life to the gathering, but they were just there to wait out the storm that was raging outside in the darkness, right? This is going to drive a lot of people to seek out God. This, the darkness is coming. The civil war that we've spoken about, you know, the persecution against the Christians, which we've spoken about. So many who are young in the Lord start out in apostate churches because they believe there is an escape from the world and its curses there. They either stay and uh, die a slow spiritual death in these places, or they come out after they get the foundations, some, some of which are right and some are wrong, they come out and begin seeking the Lord and truth for themselves. Amen. So a lot of people go flock to the harlot's houses, like the Scripture says, uh, when trouble comes. But they soon realize that's not where the answer's at. I tried to get to the main part of the church, but 
the older women of the church continuously tried to get me to come with them to their women's fellowship. I did not want to be taught by a woman and kept on looking for a way to exit without anyone noticing so as to not offend. Well, uh, just a little note here. In Titus, it tells the older women to teach the younger women, but in, in specific things. Titus 2, 4, and 5 says that they may train the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sober-minded, chaste, workers at home, kind, keeping in subjection to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So this is the specific instructions for women to teach in the church, right? And they're teaching the younger women to love their husbands and these things. But they are not to teach doctrines, which a lot of women fellowships do. That's why she obviously was avoiding this. Uh, And if any woman has any questions, she should ask her husband at home, the Bible says. Let's just obey the rules, okay? I noticed that they took the children out of the main church and put them in a separate room away from their mothers. Well, that's been a disaster quite often, I got to tell you. Uh, We saw in Titus that the mothers are the ones who are supposed to teach their own children. And there was much fussiness and fussing between the mothers, the caregivers, and the children, and I could not understand any of it. I finally found a little red umbrella and decided to go outside. In other words, out in the rain, right? I didn't care if it was going to get if I was going to get wet or drenched or blown away in the storm, but I had to leave. And then I woke up. She said, I don't think this dream is for me personally, as I have not been part of any institution for a long time, and I don't really subscribe to mainline denominational stuff. But it's a a good warning for others and a call to pray for those who still need to come out. I also think the Lord showed me this dream to confirm the darkness that is befalling the current institutionalized church as is evident from the verses I received concerning it. Yes, and concerning the dreams we've had, too. That even though the bride is going through her tribulation here before the tribulation <laughs> to get her ready to be to walk in the steps of Jesus to, uh, to teach the church, right? So um, I asked the Lord for a verse by faith at random, uh, she received a text that speaks of the coming David Manchild reformers to bring the church back to biblical order. So her verse by faith at random was Psalm eighty nine twenty five. I will set his hand also on the sea, sea represents peoples, and his right hand on the rivers, and uh, in, this is in context 20 through 29, okay, I have found David my servant with my holy oil, have I anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established. Mine arm also shall strengthen him. 
The enemy shall not exact from him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And I will beat down his adversaries before him, and smite them that hate him. Again, this is the David Manchild reformers that are about to come on the scene at the time when the bride gets her reward. Yes. But my faithfulness and my loving kindness shall be with him, and uh, in my name shall his horn be exalted. Uh, I will set his hand also on the sea, and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. So uh, she said, I asked the Lord for one more word by faith at random and receive Hosea 13 and 2. And now they sin more and more and have made them molten images of their silver even idols, according to their own understanding, all of them the work of the craftsmen. And uh, they say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. So this represents the religious institutions who follow another Jesus, the golden calf, right? Okay. This was given to Garrett Crawford, 529-22, and it's a warning about the competitive prophetic spirit. But I say the competition uh, idea comes out, and it, it applies to a lot of things besides that, but this in particular talks about that. I began to tell my wife that none of the false prophets are speaking about this nuclear event that the Lord showed me. None of them are warning of something so specific as this. They speak in vague, loose language, so after an event or a calamity happens, they can go back and say, See, I saw that. I warned of that. But they only deceive themselves and their followers. I want to be very clear, I am not a prophet in any sense of the word. A true prophet is given specific details of events to come. Sometimes they know where and when and why. <clears throat> I was telling my wife the false prophets in the church with the large audiences will be totally caught off guard by this event. It will shock them to their core. But afterwards, they will surely take credit for seeing it in advance. They will scramble amongst themselves through their endless pages of vague prophetic nonsense and revisit hours of recorded speaking engagements to see what two or three lines can be strewn together to uh, prove that this was warned that they warned of this. God's true prophets do not need to go to such desperate lengths. God's true prophets' words are few. Prophecies are few, but are etched in stone and are amazingly accurate. Yet many warnings in these days come from simple people with simple dreams, and not from those who even promote themselves as a prophet. 
is true. But if a person starts getting good dreams, it does not mean they are a prophet. A prophet is an office in the church. It's not just one who prophesies. And besides, dreams and visions aren't necessarily prophecies. Okay? So a lot of people do that. They jump to this office of the prophet. That's why you get so many prophets out there that aren't. This weighed on my heart. Yes, I knew the tendencies of the false prophets, but I also looked within myself with the utmost scrutiny. I cried out to Jesus saying, Lord, search my heart. If there is any vain glory or self-seeking spirit within me, reveal it and drive it from me. Revelations are not for boasting or receiving the praise of men. They are dangerous for many because the flesh loves the glory in itself and take credit for being set apart and special. Okay. I did not want to be like the false prophets that travel from conference to conference, church to church, stealing words from one another and uh, slapping each other on the back. Yet even in this prayer, my own self-righteousness and pride was well at work within me. Sometimes we feel pretty good about seeing the flaws of others, yet miss so much about ourselves. Many have made whole ministries of pointing out the heresies of the false church and its leaders, all the while being completely self-seeking and prideful themselves. But I digress. When I got home, I was still thinking about how no one in the prophetic mainstream is specifically talking about this soon-coming judgment. I felt like I was uh, the only one with this understanding, and I felt like a man on an island, and although I knew not to go to the false patriot prophets, as I call them, I did start to do some searching on YouTube about a nuclear strike on, for instance, New York City. To my surprise, I did see quite a few dreams seeing pretty much the same things I saw. These weren't any of the who's who in the, of the charismatic realm. They were nobodies like me. Just every day, people like myself, with no title or authority, just sharing dreams of judgment. This is true. And uh, some were quite amazing and detailed. I was not completely shocked, as I know God always confirms things in the mouth of two or three witnesses. But I have to be honest, after I watched these, I felt a little unsettled within myself. I still felt something amiss in my heart, and almost like, dare I say, a competitive spirit. I knew these people were not in the false prophet crowd, there was absolutely no worry there, but I felt a tinge of pride within me. I still wanted to feel like I was the only one. <laughs> I recall Elijah telling those on Mount Carmel, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. And Elijah failed uh, to acknowledge what Obadiah had just told him earlier hey, there's still a bunch of prophets left in a cave. I have them hidden from Jezebel. Yeah. 
1 Kings 18, 3 and 4. Now Obadiah greatly feared the Lord. For when Jezebel had slaughtered the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them, fifty men per cave, providing them with food and water. Amen. Elijah got scared of Jezebel like everyone else and hid in a cave later. 1 Kings 19 and 9, There Elijah entered a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, he replied, but the Israelites have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I am the only one left, and they are seeking my life as well. Well, even there, Elijah still maintained that he was the only one doing God's will. And everything he just said was true except for the fact that he was the only one still following God in such a horrible time of apostasy. Well, God let him in on a little secret, saying, Nevertheless, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and whose mouth has not kissed him. So, Garrett said, I think we need to realize the fact that we are all nobodies. None is more special than the other. In this time in history, spiritual gifts are working in us all. It's just not rare to see the Holy Spirit giving dreams and visions to people anymore. We need to get off of our self-imposed, isolated high horse and just be like the little children, humble, happy, and content. Comparison is the thief of all joy. I don't know who said that, but I, I see it around a lot, and it's fitting for this exhortation. But I also want to examine something else. I feel like the prophetic has become a sport. We're just tallying points to see who got it right most times. And in the end, we can add up our stats and let everyone know we hear God better than others. Um, the most important thing we must remember is that God does not want anyone to perish. He takes no joy in the death of the wicked. He gives us these warnings to share with others so that men may repent. Death is not something to celebrate. Getting it right is not something to relish in. Having a dream or a vision come to pass means nothing if we don't have humility and a longing for men to be saved. Are we all Jonas? Do we want to merely operate in the spiritual gifts but are far more concerned with our track record? Ask yourself, are you willing to be called a false prophet in order that men will be saved from the very judgments you have so clearly seen? If you knew that the judgment you saw and were made to proclaim would be delayed or even stopped completely, would you still proclaim it? 
If you knew you would be called false prophet, lying spirit, or deceiver, would you still speak? Until you are ready to be hated of men, God cannot use you. It is His mercy that He has not ordained many of us with prophetic giftings into the office of prophet. We could simply not take the heat. Many of us, including myself, have no idea what it means to be a prophet or apostle. They are despised by the world, hated among the majority of the church, and often find themselves alone in a cave. They are public spectacles and objects of wrath, humiliation, and scorn. Forget everything you see in the mainstream church, YouTube, or in the movies. I can assure you Satan has deceived the minds of the lost and lukewarm Christians concerning this. One thing God told me long ago, Garrett, if you see someone that has prophet or apostle before their name, they usually aren't. <laughs> I confirm that. I believe that's so true. I can take credit for the understanding laid out above, though. It was only after having this dream last night that God gave me some insight about what exactly was going on in my own heart. Amen. Good good word. Amen. Well, here's something else from Garrett, 529.22. Satan pits brother against brother. There's that competitive spirit, right? In this short dream, I was dressed in purple and gold. The uniforms are the righteous garments of the saints. <laughs> the purple represents royalty. The gold represents being refined in the fire. And all of God's children should be wearing purple and gold. Well, amen. So, representing being dressed in royalty, God promised Abraham that out of him kings would come. And we're Abraham's seed if we hold to the faith of Abraham. Genesis 17, 5-7 says, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abram. Abraham, for the father of a multitude of nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And also Galatians 3, 6 through 9. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. Know therefore that they that are of faith the same are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then, they that are of faith are blessed with the faithful Abraham. Well, amen. Okay, I'm going to give a little bit more interpretation here. Um, he said, I was in uh, the uniform of the Los Angeles Lakers basketball team in an NBA arena. We were playing a game against another team. But oddly enough, the other team was dressed in purple and gold, too. 
<laughs> they were also the Los Angeles Lakers. It seemed the same team was playing against themselves. Well, that's, that happens when this competitive spirit comes in between groups of people, so to speak. So this represents a competitive and, in some cases, denominational spirit among God's elect that brings disrepute to the name of Jesus. Because Jesus said, I pray they may be one as we are one, right? So I was a starter and the star on my team, and I was scoring most of the points. And I noticed Kobe Bryant was the only coach on the floor. And it seemed he was coaching both teams. Well, Kobe in Hebrew is a form of Jacob, which means supplanter or cunning, right? Kobe Bryant's nickname was the Black Mamba, representing Satan, the accuser of the brethren. And very poisonous things come out of the mouth of a black mamba, right? So Kobe saw that I was scoring a lot of points, so he substituted someone into the game. He substituted a man I went to school with named Adam Brotherton. I knew Adam was not as skilled as I was. He wasn't even a starter. Well, Adam Brotherton represents all of our brethren in Christ who uh, was the second Adam, right? As he came off the bench, I was not threatened by him, but then Adam began to match me point for point. Every time I scored, Adam scored. This went back and forth for some time. I was pretty irritated and quite threatened by his ability to score just like me. And when I watched Adam, I saw no guile in him, jealousy, or competitive spirit. He was humble and just enjoying the game. I seemed to be playing against Adam, but Adam was simply playing the game as the game was meant to be played. He was smiling and having a good time. And then I woke up. Well, he says uh, scoring points is not bad, but it's not bad uh, to be gifted. But Satan, or the Black Mamba, will use brother against brother to become competitive and often make one lose sight of just enjoying the game. And that's when we start watching others too closely and uh, insecurity sets in. Uh, gifted Christians that know more than others will start to look down on less gifted brothers and think that they are not as spiritual as them. Therefore, can't do the same things that God has allowed them to do. But God will humble older and more spiritual brothers by substitutes and allow these younger brothers to do things that they themselves think only they can do. And in the end, we have to remember we are all brothers and we're all wearing purple and gold and we all play for the same team. We don't need to be competitive and threatened when God uses someone else. Satan wants us to, uh, he wants us competing with each other and uh, keeping score. And there's plenty of time in the game 
and we, we all get a chance to shoot the ball at different times. Amen. So just resting in the Lord, putting down all arrogance and uh, ego and so on. Put it all aside because God's not in it if that's there, you know. So the bride uh, seeks the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Um, and this is myself. I just want to share a little bit with you. I've discovered that when it's really hard to turn the other cheek or to resist not him that is evil, it's usually because there is some competitive spirit, some pride, some judgment in our heart concerning the people who are coming against us. Our uh, old man rises up and our pride rises up. That com competition rises up and we want to retaliate. We don't want to bear that fiery trial. We don't want to bear that cross. But the Lord is teaching us that. And when we submit to what the Word of God has to say concerning other people, our mind doesn't get stirred up emotionally against them. Being emotionally stirred up makes it almost impossible to be obedient. The Bible tells us that what we are to do concerning the weak brother Romans 14 and 1 says, But him that is weak in faith receive ye, yet not for decisions of scruples or doubtful disputations. Some translate scruples here. Uh, there are people who are weak in the faith, whose doctrine is not what ours is concerning the faith, concerning salvation, concerning the Holy Spirit, and many other things. But as you know, we've all been down this road, you know, and we all grew in time. It took time for God to bring us through all these phases and so on. And so we, when we look at our younger brother, we have to realize, well, it's going to take some time for them too, right? So many times in our church life, we've been taught to uh, judge these people rather than do what God says, which is to receive them. So, let me say, it's one thing to talk about apostate churches, and it's another thing to name them. Uh, when we get revelations from God over and over concerning a certain people, that's God. That's not us. We just pass on the revelation. That's it, you see. There should be no competitiveness there. So, um, verse 2 one man hath faith to eat all things, but he that is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth set at naught him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judges the servant of another? To his own Lord he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be made to stand, for the Lord hath power to make him stand." So Paul tells us that there are people who are weak in the Christian faith uh, that we're not to judge, and we're to give uh, them the time to grow up. Amen? But thou, why dost thou judge thy brother? Or thou again, why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. And I had experiences where the Lord taught me this. Let me say this. There were places where Paul 
and others, John, uh, corrected people by name because they were uh, factious or, uh, or heretics. In other words, trying to gain disciples and rejecting the brethren and so on and so forth. They, these brothers made them famous in the Bible. Okay, we still have those people with us today. They need to rebuke, be rebuked and be warned about today so people don't fall into their trap because that's what they are. So we're not speaking about that, okay? Uh, the prize itself is to be chosen as the bride, as we will see. It's important to note that the church is not the bride, as some simplistically say, but she is chosen out of the church, like Esther, the bride, was chosen out of all the fair virgins of the kingdom to be the bride of the one who was, at that time, the king of kings. And this after Vashti was rejected because she did not obey the king. So, you see, and her name is mentioned too. And also in uh, Song of Solomon, the Shulamite, meaning perfected one, was chosen out of all the women of the kingdom. Song of Solomon 6, 8-9 says, There are threescore queens and fourscore concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my undefiled, is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is not distracted, obviously. And she's not uh, egotistical, obviously. Uh, she is the choice one of her that bear her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed, yea, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Also, in Psalm 45, the bride raised up the virgins to know the Lord. So Jesus always taught in his parables the Jewish marriage ceremony in which everyone was accounted for in the church. There was the bride, the virgins who escort her to the groom's home, and after the marriage feast, and the friend of the bridegroom, and those receiving the invitations. So everybody's accounted for in this marriage ceremony, but some people mix all that up and congeal it and whatever. But in Revelation 19, the bride <clears throat> had on a glorious lampros garment, meaning and uh, that garment represented her works, right? It says there. Uh, and this is not only white, but glowing. Okay, that's the bride. So the works of the bride are glorious before God. They're in agreement with the Scriptures. There's no com competitive spirit there. There's no distraction there. Well, there we see that those invited had on a simple leucose garment, meaning white. And, of course, the bride does not receive an invitation to her own marriage. So this is talking about the multitudes of Christianity here. They have a leucose garment. Or they're not going to be counted worthy to be in the kingdom. Okay. So what are the advantages of being in the bride? Well, they sit next to the king forever in the highest holy of holies, like the bride in Psalm 45. In Joel 2, as righteous Jerusalem, they escaped the beast who captured the rest of God's people 
in a tribulation. They conquered the Assyrian beast to save God's people. In Esther, she had the love, respect, and the ear of the king and brought down the beast Haman and his people to save the people of God. In Song of Solomon, she raised up her little sister and the rest of the people of God in order to enter the presence of the king. In the Gospels, they raised up the church, talking about the bride. Remember what John the Baptist said? He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, talking about those first fruit disciples of Jesus who followed him everywhere and learned of him. So in the Gospels, they raised up the church and, uh, and ordained the fivefold ministers. Uh, in Revelation chapter 3, as the Philadelphia Church of Brotherly Love, they escaped the hour of trial that came on the rest of the church and the whole world. So, and this is not a rapture. Um, she is supernaturally spared, for she is not under the curse, as we have seen. You don't. God doesn't have to take you out of the world to protect you from it. So read Psalm 91, right? So they were given the name of the New Jerusalem. Uh, she was born from heaven, according to Revelation, and God's new name was written upon them. Amen. So what we are learning about the bride's maturity is very important. Um, there is going to be a great difference between the bride and the rest of the church during the tribulation period. The What the bride has gone through being persecuted by the wicked in these days, uh, the church is going to in the tribulation period. So, But first, the bride has to know uh, how to handle these situations and what should be our attitude in these situations and pass it on to the church so that they don't waste their time going through lessons that they are not learning. Okay, so God's got everything planned out perfectly, and it's all according to history. Okay, it's all according to history. We saw that the bride is not the church, but is chosen out of the church. Very clear, very clear. Okay, and they generalize these things to put everybody's okay, I'm okay, you're okay, don't worry about it, we don't have to do anything, we are the bride, right? No, the bride is going to be chosen when the man-child ministry starts. Remember that Jesus went forth and he chose those first fruits disciples who John the Baptist said were the bride. They were chosen then. They were prepared, okay? Uh, it's not that they didn't have a lot to learn. They did. And during the time that Jesus taught them, they came totally into his image, preached his gospel, had his power, saved the people of God, just like Jesus did. Okay. And if you don't think that that's your goal, then you're in the wrong church. And it's not a church because you need to come out from among them. Amen. So, Father, we, we thank you so much for what you're teaching us and showing us through your revelations, through your dreams and visions, through your prophecies. 
We thank you so much, Lord. We want to be counted worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man on Mount Zion, by the way, not up in heaven. So, Lord, we, uh, we praise you and we thank you that you're going to do this with or without us. And uh, we've got nothing to be proud about. We don't have anything that we didn't receive, as Paul said. It was all given to us. We can't glory in it. We can't be proud of it, like Garrett was pointing out. And we can't be competitive. Let the other people be competitive, because they will not be chosen. And those people with an ego will not be chosen. That is not a beautiful garment. Okay, so uh, we're in this race. It's a race. There are different races, by the way. There's a race to be in the man-child ministry. There's a race to be in the bride ministry. There's a race to be in the virgins. There's a, All of these are races. And uh, we may be running for different purposes to different offices, but we're still uh, one body in Christ and very necessary. Amen? So um, the main thing is... Um, Whatever other people act like, um, you can't go there. Whatever they do, you can't go there. Uh, whatever is their pride and their uh, defending of self, you can't go there. If you want to be in the bride, you can't go there. They will not be. In fact, many of them will not even be in the kingdom. Uh, a majority of them will not be in the kingdom. If you think that's false, we'll just look at the parable of the sower. Uh, three out of four didn't make it. Hmm. Okay, but they got the word. They just didn't make it. And so, uh, sanctification has to be forefront. What we've been talking about today is what is a defilement in the body that we need to be sanctified of. And so we're ready for the king, right? We're preparing for the king, the coming of the king. And yes, uh, 2,000 years ago, the king came in a body of the son of David. And today, he's coming again. Everything that has been shall be, we're told, by a very wise man or through a very wise man, right? Ecclesiastes. Other things that have been are the things that shall be. There's no new thing under the sun. Everything just, every history just keeps on repeating. So the Bible says, you know, once again in John, John chapter 16, that Jesus is coming as a little baby born to a woman again. And he said, I will see you again. And he was a grown man at that time. <laughs> I will see you again. So we read in the book of Revelation that this is happening. And the dragon is being cast down. Look around you. Is that happening? Hmm. Very interesting. Yes, a, the, Satan had taken over the world. And, and a lot of people don't believe that, but they will after this D-class comes out. I guarantee it. You will see that Satan was ruling and is ruling in a very nasty, deep state and elite group of people. And they're being brought down just as Cyrus brought down Babylon. And what was the king doing at that time? Drinking from the vessels of God's people, the wine, which meant their blood. They were guilty of the blood of the saints. 
right? So, thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you, Father, for making opportunity for us to learn and to study your word and find out what it is that is pleasing unto you. The queens and the concubines uh, called the uh, bride back. Return, return, O Shulamite, the perfected one, that we may look upon thee. They wanted to know what did the Lord like? What did he prefer? What does this bride look like? They were crying out to God. They just realized they missed it. They're crying out to God. Well, in the tribulation, God's church are going to have opportunity to look like the bride because they're going to have an example of the bride right there in front of them. And uh, no, it's not a flyaway thing. That's crazy. It's not biblical. It doesn't fit with any of the types and shadows. It's just a fairy tale. Okay, so yes, at the end, God's people will uh, go with him. And that's that part is true. The pre-trib fly, all fly away rapture is a lie. And it, uh, it, it presupposes that people don't have to get ready for this thing and don't have to be chosen. Okay, well, he is going to choose a bride like Jesus did when he went forth in the Gospels. And uh, they were faithful people, all but the one that he said, who was the Judas, the son of perdition, uh, who was a traitor. And let me say that every super group has these. <laughs> they have these and may have more than one. I've seen quite a few. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for correcting us. We ask, Lord, that you convict us from these things. I know I went through this very fast, but uh, I pray, Lord, that anybody who needs to go back through it again will do that. Go back through it again and think about it. And um, thank you, Father, for doing that for us. In Jesus' name, we praise you and we thank you. And we will do this again very soon. God bless you. Good night, saints. For information, materials, and to contribute, Go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama 36123. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. darkest night what will be my guiding light the shining rays of red and white Jesus I trust in you sacred heart in you I find mercy seated for all time I am yours and yours
are mine, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus.